Have you ever asked a question? I realize that's a silly question to even ask if you've asked a question. Obviously, you have all been a child before, so you've asked your fair share of questions. But how do you feel about questions? How do you feel when people ask you questions? It probably depends on the kind of question, right? It probably depends on the motivation behind the question. Sometimes people ask questions to just catch you in a bind, right? They ask a question where there, there's kind of no win in the situation. They ask you a question just to, to trap you, right? Now, I, I like questions, and sometimes I even like those kind of questions. So I know some of you might come up after and ask me some of those questions, and sometimes I enjoy those because I, I just enjoy uh, the, the back and forth of conversation that questions can bring, and I think there is something to questions that, that we miss sometimes because we don't ask enough questions. I, I love questions, and I like knowing that I don't always have the answer, but knowing that, that we can have a conversation around a question that can lead us to an answer, hopefully. But not always, right? And that's some kind, sometimes the, the excitement and the enjoyment of asking questions. And I think as we think about questions, questions bring with them this, this incredible power, this power like right here and right now in the present tense, but also this future possibility of what could be, what could come out of the question that is asked. And I think that questions can also set us free from so many things, right? We just got through Christmas and uh, there's probably some awkward family situations that, that have happened to many of you. Maybe not all of you. And uh, if you're one who it hasn't happened to, it might be you that caused the awkward situation. I'm just saying, like, you know, it, it might be. It's just a question. Could it be you? I don't know. You could discover the answer for yourself. You could ask. But sometimes you, you might be in a situation, you're, you're kind of like just curious, like, like, should I even ask a question here? Uh, but you may wonder, like, hey, why did you say that? Or where did that come from? Or what led you to that conclusion? Or why are you here? Whatever the question might be, you, you may wonder how, how someone feels about something. You may wonder what they think about something. You may wonder, hey, is, are you mad at me? Did I do something wrong? Right? We, we start to un unravel these questions, and, and it leads us to a place where we can discover some answers. Recently, I got a piece of mail, and in this piece of mail was a Marshall crest. And if you don't know, my last name is Marshall. My first name is Ben. Hello. And... Uh, <laughs> It came with a Marshall crest on it, which is like a coat of arms type thing. And I was like, what in the world is this? I have no idea. I didn't know we had one. I, I didn't know you could discover these kinds of things. Like, what questions did you even ask to get there? And so I asked my family member who sent it to me, I was like, hey, what's this? And he's like, oh, it's our Marshall family crest. I was like, what? Where? How? And he like told me how he got there and like, you know, where it's from and things like that. I was like, whoa, this is fascinating. But I asked the question. Right? And as we think about questions, if we're really going to get to a place of discovering these answers, we have to be willing to ask some questions. Questions can lead us from being in the dark and, and just kind of wondering something in our heads or maybe wondering it out loud to actually bringing the answer into light. We can actually discover some things if we're willing to ask the right kind of questions. And so I think questions can remove burdens. There are things that we carry around. There, there are, are pressures that we feel. There, there's different weights that we have resting on us because we have not yet asked the question that we want to ask or we need to ask. If we ask those questions, it can remove burdens from us. 
Questions can also open doors to discovery and to understanding. Maybe there's something that you're wondering about and you're not sure if you can ask that kind of question. You're not sure if, like, who to even maybe ask that question to, but if you're willing to ask the question, it can lead to discovery and to understanding. Questions can lead us toward a, a place of health and healing, right? Sometimes we, we look at our, our past, we look at things that have happened in our lives, and if we are willing to ask some honest questions of like, is that how it should be? Is this how things should be in the future? Is this feeling right? Is this a healthy way to live? It, you know, whatever those questions might be, it can actually lead us to a place of health and healing if we're willing to sit in the discomfort sometimes of these questions. And I think that questions can also help us come to a deeper place of faith, a deeper place of faith. Because we read things sometimes, or we wonder things sometimes, and if we're able to ask good questions, it leads us to a place where we can trust even more deeply in the Word of God and in the person of Jesus Christ. There's this woman, she's a professor, she's got her PhD in like probably a whole bunch of different things. Her name's Kara Powell, and she runs the uh, Fuller Youth Institute in California, and she wrote this, this research that it's kind of worked its way into youth ministries and things like that, and it's called Sticky Faith. And she said this quote, she said, doubt is not toxic to faith, but unexpressed doubt is. And so we wanna be willing to ask questions, but we can only get there if we're willing to have the courage to ask questions and the vulnerability that questions take on. It's not an easy thing to always answer these questions. It takes some vulnerability and some honesty. And so over the next couple of weeks, I wanna take you on a journey just on some things that I've been wondering about, some questions that I've been asking. As I've been reading scripture, some different things have come up and I'm just like, hey, what does that even mean? Right? And, and so we want to kind of discover some of these things that I've been wondering about. So again, welcome to Pathway. My name is Ben Marshall. I already said hello, but hello again. And, uh, and hello to, to you in the room, but also if you didn't know, we have people watching around different places. So if you're watching online, hello to you. If you're watching on the Moon campus, hello to you. If you're watching in our classic venue, hello to you as well. So as we continue this idea of asking questions, I want to bring it to the Word of God and ask you this question. Have you ever read something in the Bible and then thought, what? How? Why? When? Where? What is going on here? How did that, are you sure? Like, have you ever read scripture and you're just like asking questions? Can we see a show of hands? Anybody have any questions about the Bible? Good. All right. I do too, and I'm a pastor, and I have questions. And that's okay. That's a good place to be because we don't have all the answers, or at least I don't have all the answers. And, and so I think it's good, and I think it's helpful to, to ask questions. But again, the motivation of the question matters, right? We, we don't want to just like ask these illogical kinds of questions like, can God lift something, or can God create something so heavy that he can't even lift it, right? That's just illogical, all right? That's not a helpful question. That's gonna, not going to lead anybody anywhere, right? But if we're willing to ask honest questions and seek genuine answers and approach the Word of God with, with th this curiosity of, okay, what might he be saying here? What might be going on here? A, a willingness to, to look at the context, a willingness to ask good questions. I think it can lead us to a place of deeper faith. I think it can lead us into a place where we trust the Word of God even more than we did before because we, we've tested it, we've asked questions. And the, the first thing there in your notes that I want you to know as we, this is, this is like an overarching point for, for this week and for next week as we think about things that I've been wondering about. 
is this point in, in your notes that says, God can handle your questions. God can handle your questions. Whatever your question is, God can handle it. Why? Because he created you. He already knows the question, even if you've not asked it. And so if it's this question that you have bubbling inside of you and you've not even put it out yet, like God already knows it's there, so why not tell it to him? Why not cry out to him, whatever that question might be? We see in scripture the honest declaration of some of these questions, these intense questions, and we'll get to that in a moment. But before we do, where you ask your question matters. And so we put a list of resources at the bottom of your pathway notes just to highlight some places that you can go to ask some good questions. So one of those is bible.org. Nice and easy, super simple, bible.org. You type it in and you can go there and you can ask pretty much any question that you can think of. And there's gonna be a, a blog or an article or a commentary or a sermon that you can click on and you can discover probably more than you ever wanted to know about that topic. Related to Bible.org is one called netbible.org. So net, like N-E-T, Bible.org. And this one actually allows you to study the Word of God on your own. You can pull it up, and, and there's commentaries there, there's notes there. There's different ways that you can study the Word of God. If you're in the Old Testament, there's actually like a side-by-side -side English and Hebrew Bible that you can look at and put your cursor. It's, it's much easier to do it on a computer than it is on a smart device, but you can do it on a smart device. It's just not as user-friendly. But if you're on a computer, you move your cursor to like the English word, and it highlights the Hebrew word, and it shows you what that Hebrew word actually is, and you can click on it, and then it takes you on a word study, and it leads you deeper into that rabbit hole of like, where else in Scripture is this word used? What else might this word mean? Okay, here's the one English word that it was translated into, but it could also be these six other English words that weren't chosen in this particular translation. And so it does that for the Old Testament, and then the New Testament does it in Greek, and it has that side-by-side, -side, and it just allows you to study the Word of God in the original language on your own. All right? Another one that you could do, if, if that's just too much work, there's, there's, there's this ministry called The Bible Project. The Bible Project creates these, these wonderful videos, and they have BibleProject.org, I think, is their website. You can see them on YouTube and things like that. They've created all kinds of videos, all kinds of resources, podcasts and blogs and all that kind of stuff that if you like have a question, like I was just, we were at youth group one night and we were talking about questions. And somebody came up with a question. I'm like, man, that's a great question. I have no idea, but let's find out. And so I went to the, uh, the Bible Project and I asked the question to Bible Project and it spit out these uh, different videos and podcasts that they talked about and it said, hey, at this minute mark, here's where we start talking about that. And I was like, awesome. And I sent it away and like, hey, here's an answer to your question. And uh, so that's one that you can use. And, and there's also one that might be like a little bit controversial, but did you know you can use like chat GPT and you can use things like Google's Bard or, or Bing chat, this, this artificial intelligence, you can go to it and you can type in your question. Now what you type in is important. The kind of question that you ask is important, but man, I, I've gone there and I've been able to ask some really good questions and it's given some like surprising, like when I say surprisingly, I'm like, whoa, like a pastor could have written that. Like these are surprisingly good answers. And it gives you the resources, like it gives you links to different places where it found these answers and it links to different websites that, that are like reputable websites. It's not just Wikipedia. It goes far beyond that and, and gives you some like really detailed and good answers. So you can use that. Or if you prefer talking to a person, and not artificial intelligence, you can just send me an email. Whatever your question is, I'm not saying I have an answer, but I'll talk to you about it. And maybe we can find out an answer together and we can work through that. Um, I think I put my email there. If not, it's on the back of your notes and, and all that. So you can use those different ways to ask questions. King David asked a lot of questions. 
But he didn't have generative AI to ask. He didn't have artificial intelligence to go to and ask these questions. And so King David, what he did is he cried out to the Lord with his questions. He went directly to God and he said, hey, where are you? You said you were gonna be here, but where are you? He comes directly to God and he says, hey, listen, evil is prospering. Why? How is this okay? How are you as a good God allowing this to happen? He goes further and he, he asks God, like, why do I feel alone? There are all these people around, but I feel desperate. I feel alone. I'm weeping on my couch all through the night because of what's going on. Where are you in this, God? You say you're near to the brokenhearted. Where are you? Right, these are legit questions. <laughs> All right, these are questions that, that we are led to sometimes as well. And King David doesn't shy away from it. It doesn't diminish his faith to ask these questions. In fact, it deepens his faith because he knows that he can ask these questions because God can handle his questions. And so he comes to him and asks these kinds of things. And you know, he doesn't always get the answer that he's looking for. And that can be frustrating. Right? That can lead us to a, a crisis of faith in itself of wondering, hey, God, where are you? And he's like, go read the book of Job and see how God responds to that. God's response to Job in some of those questions were, hey, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I created the Leviathan? And I put it like, what's the Leviathan? I don't even know. But God's saying, hey, I made it. And it's somewhere in the depths of the oceans, which is why oceans are terrifying. You can laugh at that, it's okay. It's, you start to ask these questions. When you start to see these things, you're like, now, did that die in the flood? I'm not sure. And is it still living down there? I don't know, but God created it. And he says, Job, where were you when I created these things? And Job's like, you got me there, God. I don't always love your answer, but you're the creator. And I understand that you may not answer in the exact way that I want you to, but that's also because I don't serve a God created in my image. I serve a God whose image I'm created in the image and likeness of. And because he created me, he's the one who has all the answers, but he doesn't have to. It's not a requirement of him to give us the answer that we want. He brings us to a place of understanding who he is, the, the depths and, and the riches of who he is, so that we might delight in him, not so that we can have every answer to every question that we have. And again, that can feel frustrating. We want the answer. We want the answer, and so that can lead us to this crisis of faith of like, well, if he's not answering me, like, how can I even trust that he's true? And he's like, hey, just because you don't have the answer yet doesn't mean that it's not coming. And maybe you're asking the wrong question. And so if we're willing, again, to honestly wrestle through these things, honestly ask some of these questions, then we're going to be led to a place where we come to with King David, where at the end of almost every single psalm that he writes with those questions, he's left praising the Lord for who he is. He says, where are you, God? You are good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? And, and he, God delights and desires to draw us into that kind of place. So today we're going to spend some time 
with King David in one of his psalms. It's actually not a psalm where he asks all that many questions. It's one where he says some things that that lead me to ask some questions. And we're going to look at Psalm 37. And in Psalm 37, King David uses these words of of do not fret or do not worry. And he uses them a few different times over the course of some of these verses that we're going to read. And, And he says, hey, don't worry. Don't fret. And and then he goes into some detail about what we shouldn't worry about. He says, we shouldn't worry when people are evil. He shouldn't, we shouldn't worry when people do wrong or when the people who are doing evil succeed in it and prosper with health and wealth and prosperity. He says, hey, don't fret about those things. And then we come to the question of like, okay, like, shouldn't that be something that we get upset about? Shouldn't that be something we get worked up about? The words for like fret and worry are, are agonize. And he actually uses... Uh, uh, synonym and says wine because of him who prospers and is evil. And we'll read that in a moment. But he leads us to this place of like, how can we not worry and fret about these things? And King David was going to give us actually an answer to that question. Um, and we'll see that in a moment. But we're really going to work our way towards verse 4. And verse 4, you're going to see that the sermon title today is Delight and Desire. And in Psalm uh, 37, verse 4, we get to this word delight. And, and David specifically talks about delighting in the Lord. And that's the question that I've been wondering about. Is like, what does it actually mean to delight in the Lord? How do we do that? Like, how do I know if I'm delighting in him? Why does it even matter if I delight in the Lord? Is that a big deal? And then he goes on to say that if you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And oh, really? Okay, so all of a sudden it now matters to me to delight in the Lord because he's going to give me the desires of my heart. Because I'm interested in that second part. Like, I want the desires of my heart, but I don't always want that first part. We'll talk about that as we go along as well. But we want to take delight in God. And, uh, and as we step into Psalm 37, one other thing that, that we need to, to realize as well is in this psalm, it's, it's actually a, a psalm that it's 40 verses long, and we're not going to read all 40 verses, so don't worry. It's not like a Psalm 119 situation. If you were here when I preached on Psalm 119, we read the whole thing. It's like the longest chapter in the Bible. And it's like 150 verses that we read all together. It took like 15 minutes. We're not going to do that. But in this psalm, in Psalm 37, there is a uh, memory aid that King David used as he wrote this where every other other line begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so it's in alphabetical order going through the Hebrew alphabet to help them memorize and understand this psalm as they were reading it. And so what we take from that is we, we ask the question like, well, why would David do something like that? And he did it so that God's people would be able to memorize this psalm. He made it easier for us to memorize, now in Hebrew, not necessarily in English, but in Hebrew, he made it easier for them to memorize because he followed this progressive pattern. And so for King David, this is something that that he valued. This particular psalm is one he saw a lot of value in it and wanted them to be able to memorize, write it on their hearts, and take it with them as they went. So let's read this together in Psalm chapter 37. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible, and the Amplified Bible is a a translation that basically just just adds some things in brackets that kind of gives you a a greater sense of what is actually being said. And so sometimes it takes the big words and it it gives a definition or it gives synonyms to those big words, and that's helpful for me because I'm not a big word kind of person. Uh, I like the, the smaller words. I like it to be explained out, and sometimes it just answers the question even as you're having it. And so we're going to read it in Psalm 37 in the Amplified Bible. And here is what King David wrote. 
beginning in verse one. He said, do not worry because of evildoers, nor be envious toward wrongdoers. And we start to wonder like, okay, how, why? Verse two, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust, and here's the, the definition that Amplified Bible gives it. Trust or rely on or have confidence in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed securely on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires and petitions of your heart. That's all we're gonna have on the screen, but he, he continues on and he says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do it. He will make your righteousness, your pursuit of right standing with God like the light and your judgment like the shining of the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him and entrust yourself to him. Do not fret or whine or agonize because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and abandon wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. And he continues on for 32 more verses in a similar understanding. So we go back to verse one. We're gonna take it verse by verse until we get to verse four. So again, verse one, it says, do not worry because of evildoers, nor be envious toward wrongdoers. Again, it's this literal meaning of don't become agitated or, or whine or complain or become irritated because of those who intentionally do evil. And again, this seems counterintuitive. Like how could we not get worked up about this? Sometimes we start to ask those questions of how come they are prospering? Like you see, like they're not following God and I am and, and they have what I want, right? This is where he gets the do not be envious of these wrongdoers. We may not openly admit that we are envious of people who do wrong and prosper, but sometimes we see the, the great wealth or the, the, the prosperity of other people and it's like, man, why can't I have that? Like I work hard. I do what I can to, to make ends meet, but, but I'm not prospering like that. Maybe I should cut some corners. Maybe I should take some shortcuts. Maybe I should do some things in order to get ahead a little bit faster. But doing that would mean that you're losing your character and you're losing your integrity and you're sacrificing some things along the way. So at what cost? So David says, do not fret because of them. When we allow this fretting or, or this worry to, to be the filter through which we see the world around us, then we're always going to be discouraged and discontent. We're not going to be able to come to this place of delighting in the Lord. We see that Proverbs 20, 29 says uh, that the fool gives full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. When we think about not fretting, not bringing full vent to our rage, not agonizing over these things, we see that Proverbs invites us to live with wisdom and to remain calm even in the midst of the storm, to remain calm even when it looks like evil is prospering. When we look at Psalm 37, David invites us instead to choose delight in the Lord as the filter through which we see the world. Matthew Henry, who is an old theologian, he wrote this. He said, outward prosperity is fading. When we look forward with an eye of faith, we shall see no reason to envy the wicked. 
And that's where we see David go in the next verse. In verse two, he says, why? Like, do not worry because of evildoers nor be envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. You see, they may prosper for a moment, but because their pursuit and, and their treasure is momentary, it will not last. It's like your grass in August. As soon as it's done raining and it stays hot for a while, what happens to it? At least mine. It turns brown and brittle. And you almost like walk out barefoot and you're like, ah, it's like stabbing the bottoms of your feet because it's like hard and harsh and, and brittle and brown. At least that's mine because I forget to water it, right? And maybe you take way better care of your lawn. But this is the idea that he's saying here. He says, hey, when the sun comes out and the rain goes away, the wicked are going to disappear. They're going to wither like the grass in those moments. And what they have is not going to last. For a moment, it might be lush and green and beautiful. But eventually, it's going to come to a place where it withers. It may come sooner rather than later. But whether it comes sooner or later, the fact remains that it will come. And so David says, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. And so we don't envy them because we have our eyes fixed towards the future, not just the immediate moment. We have a long view. Verse three, he says this, trust, rely on, and have confidence in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed securely on his faithfulness. So instead of spending our precious time fretting and worrying about others and, and the evil or being envious of the wrongdoers, instead what we can do is we can trust in, we can rely on, we can have confidence in who God is. We can have confidence in his plan that he is working these things out and we can do what is right even if it doesn't lead to a similar prosperity like it does for those who are doing wrong. Again, this can be challenging. It, it can lead us to ask hard questions, but honest questions. And those are good questions to ask. It's okay to ask those things. We, we want to prosper. We want to thrive, but at what cost? Are we willing to give up the Lord for what we desire? Are we willing to trade in our delight in the Lord for the desire that we seem to have apart from him? And so how do we trust in the Lord, right? Verse three says, trust, rely on, and have confidence in the Lord. How do we do that with all these things going on in the world that we live in, with all this, these mixed emotions and mixed motives and, and just the, this struggle of being in this world? We, we remember who he is, right? This is how we trust in him. We know that, that God is not bound to this present moment, that he is the I am, which means that he was, and he is, and he is to come. Grammatically, it's very confusing, but he just is. He is the I am. And when we remember who he is, we remember that, that his plan is greater than any plan any of us could draw up, even altogether. We could not come up with a plan as good as his plan, even for our own lives. When we come to him with this, we, we remember his goodness. We remember the grace that he pours out. We remember the, the power of our creator, how he spoke and everything came to be. When we reflect on that, it starts to put things in perspective. 
It starts to change the way that we see and relate in this world, and we, we are better able to, to see the long term. We're better able to understand that, that God is playing a game that is far longer than what we understand it to be in our own lives. David continued in the second half of verse three and he said, dwell in the land and feed securely on his faithfulness. This would have been a, a throwback to, to the land that they have been given, this promised land that they've been given by God and a reminder that God has promised this to them. And he's saying, hey, trust in the provision of God. Trust that God is going to keep his promise, that he has never defaulted on his promise, that what he says will come to pass. Do you trust him? Verse four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires and petitions of your hearts. This is our destination for today. This is the thing that I have been wondering about lately. What does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? What does that even look like? How do we do that? And, and how do we wrestle with that? How, how do we do it consistently and habitually? This ongoing thing, not just like a one-time thing, not just like, oh yeah, I delighted in him one time, like during that one song, it was great. And then that's it. No, how can we live a life where we are delighting in the Lord? And what does that even mean? Can I delight in other things while delighting in the Lord? Like, is it okay to, to enjoy my kids and delight in the Lord? Like, is that, do I have to like choose one or the other? Like, I, I can't delight in my kids because I'm delighting in the Lord? Or like, how do these things coexist all together? Right, these are questions that we come to. How can we do it consistently and habitually? Delight is defined as to take a, a high degree of pleasure or satisfaction in something. It can mean to take great joy or satisfaction and pleasure in a personal relationship with God as it does here. And so there's a depth to this delight that goes beyond just, just happiness or just pleasure. There, there's a depth here that David is talking about where we delight ourselves in the Lord. It's this all-consuming kind of delight. Matthew Henry, who we referenced earlier, he continued his writing and he said this. He said that God has not promised to gratify the appetites of the body and the humors of the fancy, but the desires of the renewed, sanctified soul. It's as we come to the Lord, it's as we understand who he is, it's as we understand the person and the work of Jesus Christ and what he did for our lives, that he paid the price for our sins, that he made a way for us to be at peace with God, that he died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, was resurrected from the dead so that we could be at peace with God. It's as we understand that, that we were brought to a place of delight in our intimate, personal, Emmanuel, God with us. So how do we actually delight in the Lord? What does it look like to, to bring ourselves to a place of delighting in Him? This is gonna lead us to our next blank on our notes. And we can delight ourselves in the Lord as we actively seek Him. As we actively seek Him. You cannot come to a place of enjoyment in something if you never do it, right? I, I can't say like, oh, I love pickleball. It's my favorite sport. It's the greatest thing in the world. I can't tell you the last time I've ever played pickleball. So that would just be a lie for me to say that. Right, we can't delight in the Lord if we're not seeking after him, if we're not pursuing him. It's not this passive or apathetic like, oh yeah, I go to church on Sundays or I go to church on Thursdays. Yep, God's pretty cool. 
Remember that, that one phrase that went around for a while, like, Jesus is my homeboy? Right, it's like, all right, but do you believe in him? Like, do you have faith in him? And so we actively seek him. Jeremiah 29, we're not gonna go to verse 11. We're gonna jump past that into verses 12 and 13 says this, then you will call on me and you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We can delight ourselves in the Lord as we actively seek him because God meets us in our seeking. He meets us in our pursuit because he's pursuing you. He's coming after you. He wants to bring you into his family. He's chasing after you. He's desiring you. He's inviting you in. And as you seek him, you all of a sudden find out, man, he was there all along. He was there right alongside you. He was inviting you in, drawing your heart to himself. And you begin to discover that. And this enjoyment. God invites us to delight in him, to enter into his family, to, to lean into his voice, to find him, to sit quietly with him and enjoy his presence. But that can only come as we spend time with him, right? The more time you spend with him, the more time you enjoy his presence. You cultivate that relationship. You develop a deep, intimate friendship with the Lord. But only as you spend time with him. And so we must actively seek him. We seek him through prayer. We seek him through worship. We seek him through studying the word of God. We, we seek him through coming together in this godly community. We seek him as we seek to follow his design. The psalmist in Psalm 73 said this, and, and he was speaking to the Lord, and he said, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire except for you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. These are the words of somebody who understands the desire of their heart is the Lord. This is someone who understands that they are playing a longer game than just our time here on earth, that we can experience heaven on earth as we follow Jesus here and now. But it doesn't always feel that way. Sometimes it's hard to seek after him. Sometimes we are faced with those challenging questions where we're seeking him and it feels like things aren't working out the way that we think that they should. They aren't, like we're not getting the answer that we think that we should. And so the second point kind of comes to that and says we can delight ourselves in the Lord as we trust his plan and his timing. We trust his plan and timing. We know that we are not the ones in control. This is a, a very humble posture that we have to take as we delight ourselves in the Lord. It means I take myself off the throne of my heart. It means I'm not the most important person in my life. Jesus is. It means I'm not the primary decision maker in my own life. It means Jesus is. It means that I don't follow my own plan and will for my life. I follow God's plan and will for my life. We trust him and his timing. When we trust his plan, we, we know that we don't have to have every detail figured out. We don't have to painstakingly comb through like, oh, should I do this decision or that decision or this decision or that decision? I don't really know. Oh man, what do I do? And we're just like paralyzed by indecision. What we can do is we can find this freedom in knowing, hey, as you trust in God's plan, make some decisions. He's gonna make things clear as you make a decision. 
You can follow his guidance, knowing that he's giving you a brain to think. He's giving you a mind to think, emotions to feel, a will to do. Like we are created in his image and his likeness, and he has empowered us to use those things to trust his plan and his timing, knowing that, that we don't worship, again, a God created in our image, but we are created in his image, and we follow his plan and his timing. And as we seek him. And as we trust him, we undergo a transformation from the inside out where now we, we actually see and enjoy spending time with him. We actually desire to be with him. We begin delighting in the Lord. And as we delight in him, as we're transformed from the inside out, what we see happening in our lives is this growing fruit that we call fruit of the Spirit. This fruit of the Spirit that is present and increasing in our lives, where we are growing in our love, in our joy, in our peace, our patience, our faithfulness, our gentleness, our self-control. I miss a couple along the way because I got out of order, but all of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians that he talks about there, we begin seeing those present and active and growing in our lives because we're delighting in the Lord. And as we delight in the Lord, he transforms us. Again, there are many things that we can delight in. We can delight in our kids. We can delight in our friends. We can delight in, in all these kinds of things. Where we get off is when we put desire before delight. That's where things get messy. You see, David said here, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires and petitions of your heart. The delight in the Lord has to come first in order for the promise of the second to come true. If we start with desire, then we're going to be delighting in something other than the Lord. And so that's sometimes where we get caught up in ourselves is that we begin to actually follow our desire first. Like, I, I want this, and so I pursue this, and then hopefully find some delight in that thing along the way. That's not how this works. And that's where sometimes we get messed up. That's where sometimes we're, we're left in, in this floundering and, and these questions and, and this whole, like, lostness is like we started with desire instead of delight. So how can God give us the desires of our hearts? This leads us to our final blank that says, delight provides the filter for our desires. Delight provides the filter for our desires. Again, when we begin with our desires, we don't delight in the right things. And so it's only as we first delight in the Lord that we actually have a right view of the people and things around us. We have a right view of ourselves. We have a right view of the world. We have a right view of the Lord. And it's only as we begin with that Delights, And so we start first with our delight and it becomes the filter for our desires. And so we can look at our own lives and we can begin to see this play out. We, we can begin to see some of the decisions that we've made. Did I start with a desire or did I start with delight in the Lord? And maybe you're in the midst of a decision right now where you started with a desire. You're like, I want this. And I'm gonna sacrifice some things along the way in order to ultimately reach the delight that I'm hoping for. And I can tell you, if you compromise on the front end, you're not gonna stop compromising. You're just gonna keep doing that over and over again, seeking the delight, 
seeking that, that fulfillment and that satisfaction, and it's gonna be elusive. And you're gonna chase desire after desire until you hit rock bottom. Or you can flip it. And instead of starting with desire, start with delight. What do I delight in? Or maybe a better question, who do I delight in? Because I can look at the desires in my own life, right? We can think about these desires and, and we can wonder about these things and, and, and think about the desires that I have even for my daughter. So I've got, I, I've got three girls. And man, I, I desire for them to grow up loving and serving Jesus. I desire for them to be safe in this world that we live in. I desire for them to be strong, independent women. But also, that desire can lead me to make some poor choices. It can lead me to make decisions where like I, I am so afraid that, that I want them to be safe in this world that we live in that I never actually let them see anything in the world. That I so insulate them and isolate them that they don't even understand what is out there. And then once they leave my home, then they disappear. Because I didn't prepare them. I tried to insulate them. Right, and so we can have a, a good desire, but that desire was rooted in fear, not delighting in the Lord. And sometimes delighting in the Lord can lead us to a place where it's like, that's a hard decision to make, to allow one of my kids to have to make a mistake to learn. But I also remember I was really stubborn, and the only way I learned was like, oh, the stove's hot? Sure it is. Touch. That's my personality. And you know what? Man, some of my kids inherited my personality. And that's going to be hard to parent through, but it's as I delight in the Lord that I'm going to be able to do it. If I, if I start with my desires, man, we're not going to have anything in the house. There's going to be locks and everything. They're never going to go anywhere because I'm starting with my fear, my desire to protect instead of my delight in the Lord. So whatever you're faced with, whatever decisions or whatever things are going on in your life right now, I encourage you to think, am I starting with what I desire or am I starting with who I delight in? Because again, when I start with my desire, I'm delighting in myself. I'm delighting in, in what makes me feel good or what makes me feel like I have control or what makes me feel like whatever the thing is I'm searching for. And so we can't start with our desires. We have to start with our delights. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we invite you here, Holy Spirit, to bring to our hearts conviction. To bring us to a place where we can honestly ask ourselves some hard questions. Or maybe honestly ask others some hard questions. Because God, we have started in a place where we have focused more on our desires than we have delighting in you. But Father, I pray that you would bring us to a place where we can experience you in a fresh and new way. That we can experience you in a way where you bring the delight of knowing you to bear in our lives. That you make it so clear and so present and so evident in our lives that, that we delight in you and we desire more of you. 
that this would be a consistent and habitual delight and desire for us. That is day after day growing in our love and depth of relationship with you. But God, we need your help. Get ready for our questions, because we got them. Meet us there, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.